I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Arnold Palmer is the Masters champion of 1960. He has birdied the last two holes to catch and then move ahead of Ken Venturi. One of the greatest displays of courageous golf that anybody has ever seen any place. Uh, up the hill. Oh, did you ever see one like that? <laughs> I think that's one of the greatest spots I've ever seen in my life. There it is! Can you believe it? Nick Faldo! There it is! A win for the ages! Is it his time? Oh my goodness. Oh wow. In your life have you seen anything like that? Hello friends, I'm Jim Nance. It's my great pleasure to welcome you to the Masters Tournament. I've heard it said before, it's a tradition unlike any other. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brendan Porath from SB Nation, and we're going to break down the 2018 Masters. Brendan, welcome on. Andy, good to be with you. It's always an honor uh, and a pleasure, and a pretty exciting week to uh, break down here. Finally back back in the D.C. area after a full week down south, and uh, excited to chop it up. Yeah, it was uh it was tough to get the schedule scheduling in. You know, I need to <laughs> needed I felt like I needed to go through your agent that you don't have and uh Smartin also. Smartin is on the golf course, so he will not be joining us today. It's like the uh the Monday media blitz that they send the winner up, you know, to New York. I saw Reed was doing all this stuff, went to the Knicks game, MSG. It's like that Monday after is just a little little hectic. Got to do all the the media blitz. So. I just enjoyed sitting and only <laughs> like really tweeting stuff and not really doing anything. Is uh, <laughs> the decompression is uh, real on Monday after the Masters? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You gotta kind of just start coming up for air right now. You know, back in the grind, taking kids to school and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so uh, with Reed. You were on the grounds. What do you think about the 2018 Masters champion? Uh, I think he's a deserving champion. Uh, there's been, 
the internet being the internet, there's been a backlash to Reed winning and then a backlash to that backlash. And then I think now we're at a backlash to the backlash to the people that criticizing Reed or saying Reed is a little, a little different kind of champion. We'll just use the word different. Um, so that that's that's the way the internet works here. I did not. I don't know that I anticipated the kind of explosion of of debate and drama around Pat Reed. Uh, but again, I think it's a reminder of the Masters being this this broader kind of pop cultural moment, right? It's not. I mean, more so than the U.S. Open, more so than all the other majors. Obviously, any PGA Tour event. It's this broader cultural moment, just like we talked about. The winner goes up to New York. He's on these late shows he's you know the green jacket has it's 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 a different kind of brand and um you know that i guess the winner immediately goes in the crosshairs and and obviously the winner has some oddity you know oddities about him and and his family situation and his past um and I, i don't know that he and his family probably anticipated those crosshairs fully I didn't, and I didn't kind of see this explosion coming. I don't know that we got it with Danny Willett. I mean, I guess the focus then was probably more on on Jordan Spieth. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's just a reminder of of really how much the Masters resonates beyond just the golf world and, you know, the golf nerds like us that are on the Internet all day um, who who know his story so well and are kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know that's a part 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 of the package now. So yeah, it was it was really kind of interesting to see what's what's transpired here over the last twenty four hours. Now that we're Tuesday, the week after, I tweeted something about how Nance came in on the coverage and immediately said like great buddies about Spieth and Thomas. And I uh, uh, one of my one of my followers tweeted back at me something about like you know the magnitude of the Masters and how you have millions of and it, and it that kind of clicked with me. I was like oh. That is so true is that there are, you know, like I have a ton of buddies that don't really watch golf, don't, aren't really into golf, but this week they watch the, every minute of the telecast and they might not know that Spieth and Thomas are good buddies. So like it, it is something. And I think that's a, a great point about Reed and his family situation is, is that we've known this for years, but not everybody else knew this. And, uh, I think looking beyond the family thing, Reed deserved to win this. And I think you have to always applaud people in golf when they clearly improve on their deficiencies as a player. And I think that's the the greater takeaway. If you look beyond his personal life as, as a player, there aren't a lot of guys that you know, we saw Martin Keimer try and build his game for Augusta by trying to learn how to hit a draw off the tee and it like kind of killed him you know we've seen luke donald try and chase distance and that really set him back but we see patrick reed like really learn how to hit different style golf shots than he's you know comfortable with and and that's pretty cool to see a guy that like clearly saw what his problem was and and went and fixed it and you know he's become a really way more complete player since he's been able to start to move that ball left to right. And, uh, and it, I mean, it just opens up the golf, golf course for him. And he's such a great putter, so good around the greens that if he can hit it all kinds of flags and, and have some success, I think we're going to see more wins from him. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like we, that's kind of been obscured, and all the drama about people figuring out, uh, finding out who is who he is, his personality, and and his background, is that like this guy? I mean, was this that unexpected? Was this like you know Zach Johnson or Trevor Elmoman winning? I I don't know that it is. I mean, we've seen this guy be like kind of a stone cold killer in, in some pretty big events, and um, he's had the pedigree since college and, and junior days. And like, he, of course, he's not as popular as Ricky and Spieth and, and Justin Thomas. And he, he may, he doesn't have all those accomplishments either. He, I'd say he's got a better career than Ricky for sure right now. Um, but like, he's had the pedigree. He's, you know, worked to get better, obviously with finding new shots. And we saw the helicopter stuff all, all week again. Um, and, you know, I, I don't I think that that's kind of been lost, unfortunately, here in the washout the day after what, because of all the, the broader cultural debate, pop culture debates about who he is and, and what's off and on limits. Um, this guy is like just nails. He's an incredible golfer. He, you know, chips in for Eagle when he needs to. He makes putts when he needs to. He gets maybe he caught a break or two, but every Masters winner catches a break or two. And he beat Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, and Rory McIlroy. Like, this wasn't, like, you know, just kind of cruising in. He shot 71, his highest round of the week. But I think if you ask a lot of people on Sunday morning, they thought it'd be over par. They thought it'd be higher. Um, and, and, but he stayed. He, he made putts in the biggest moments, whether that was Saturday afternoon when Rory was kind of losing his mind a group ahead and shooting 65. And then again Sunday at the very end on 17 and 18 with Ricky pushing him and and knowing that Spieth had pushed him. So, like, I think we lose sight of the fact that, like, the guy has been really one of the best golfers in the world now for years. And this wasn't, like, that surprising, even if it wasn't as palatable as people wanted it to be. You know, the putts at 12 and 14 were just massive. And I think what gets lost is kind of what you said is that this guy's been a great player. And a year ago, the story was like, why can't Patrick Reed play in majors? And, and now we're like shot, you know, the general public shocked that he won. This is, is he's, I mean, he's a world-class player and um, I mean, he's got now six titles on his career. He's 27. He's got a WGC. He's got a, um, FedEx Cup win, and yep. he's got a, ma- a major. And uh, it used to be when you hit 27 that you were just, you know, kind of getting into your prime. And now the way that golf has shifted, it's almost that now is is 25 your prime. But I really think that this generation, there's so many good young players that we're going to see a renaissance of like the 30 two to 35 year old prime it's just you know it's just taking time for these guys to develop into those players yeah i completely agree Uh, and we could probably maybe say maybe say the same for rick but i mean rick has all the kind of the the popularity and notoriety and brand endorsing stuff so we we know all about him and assume he's already um you know, one of the best in the world or, or a major winner, you know, has of that same, that same class, you know, big three, big four, all that stuff. But 
you know, maybe he is just, maybe he is as well, just kind of coming into it. I don't know. I, I think like Reed has kind of at every stage shown us that he belongs in that kind of that, that upper class conversation um, and, and isn't really a one hit wonder or a fleeting thing. Now he, he gets lost sometimes and you don't hear from him for a couple months, but you kind of can count on him season in and season out here through the first whatever six years of his career, however, four or five years of his career to at least make some noise every single season. And I think there's something to be said for, for being able to do that. And, and and this win was not that big a surprise. Obviously, like, he's he's a weird dude. <laughs> and talking to him, you kind of, you don't get very far. And it's it's a little icy. But, um, you know, if we just want to talk about the golf, I, I don't think it's that surprising. Yeah, I mean, he's always been an elite player from inside 125 yards he's one of the best around the greens he's a great putter and I think where you've seen him go silent for a little while is just is the ball striking is not always there and but when but when it's there there's few I mean he's he's one of the five best players in the world because he's so good around the greens I mean it it getting it in the hole and especially on him we saw it in a major on a major championship Sunday you know things don't always go right and that's where you need to have that game inside 125 to really take advantage of when you get opportunities and also recover from you know the bad shots the shaky shots you hit when you're not you know feeling as comfortable as you did the rest of the week leading up to it yeah, I've read, uh, I think like Ryan Lavner of Golf Channel talked to Josh Gregory, his former college coach and now performance coach, whatever that means. But, you know, he's obviously like sharp guy with with, with the talents. And he mentioned like if the, just obviously Reed has some deficiencies, but he's like if he, if he just kind of if he keeps it between the pines off the tee, like look out, you know, like his ball striking isn't always the sharpest, but it's a matter of just keeping that, that slinging draw, you know, between the pines and, and it's, you know, look out, he's, he's going to contend as long as that, that, that if, when he catches a week like that and, and we saw it. So let's talk about Rick. You touched on him. Um, what do you take away from Ricky Fowler's performance? Obviously another runner up, another top five in a major. He's 29. And what is, is Ricky Fowler going to get a major? Oh yeah. I think he's going to get a major for sure. Um, I thought this was a different kind of contention for him. Um, going 67, 60 or 65, 67 on the weekend. I mean, come on. That that's, that's worthy of, of praise. Even if he came up one shot short with a birdie on the 18th. Um, I, I thought this was like, I also think this was like the perfect spot for Ricky. Like all of Sunday was about Reed and Rory that, you know, we're going to get this like match play thing in the last group. And then it turned to speed and, and like, we're going to get, we're getting the greatest final round in major championship history and the greatest comeback ever. And Ricky was just kind of there in between those two slowly plodding along. And then he hit the back nine and what he shoot 32 coming in. Um, 
that's kind of like the perfect spot for Ricky to get a major, in my opinion, at, at this stage of his career. Maybe that changes later. Like, I, I don't know if he, he wants to be the guy one or two up going into Sunday or playing with Reed in that final Sunday pairing right now. Um, and he admitted that after the after the round, he was pretty candid. It was, a, it was kind of a different kind of Ricky. We've seen him on you know he was on he was he was in tears for all intents and purposes at 2014 at Valhalla right he was choked up talking about how like he was close you know top five every every major that year he was you know emotional after after losing again to Rory and, and feeling like you know his day would come it's it's gonna come but this time he was like, this is the first, this Sunday, he was like, this is the first sun, first major I really, really felt comfortable in. And I thought that was pretty candid. And we haven't really, we don't always get that from Ricky, obviously. He's usually pretty straightforward. Like, I hit good shots, it wasn't there today, that kind of stuff. It's always very cliche and, and nebulous. But he, he said, you know, I really felt comfortable. It's the first major I, Sunday, I really felt comfortable. And um, I think that was kind of the spot for him kind of in between the speed and then the Reed Rory show. And then all of a sudden it's the 18th hole and he's one shot off the lead. So at least that was the sense you get on the grounds. You don't get as holistic a view watching on TV because everyone's darting back and forth between Reed and and then the speed run. Um, And then all of a sudden Ricky was there. So I think that was like the ideal spot for him to really make his run towards the board. And I think one of these days, obviously it's going to happen. There's you, there are so many, (laughs) <laughs> kind of just minuscule bounces that, that have prevented him from winning a major. And he, if he keeps putting himself in position, he's going to get one. Yeah. I think he's become so much more of a patient player over yeah. the years. And I think what I look at is last year, Fowler was essentially in the exact same position on Sunday. He yep. shot even par on the, he was in the second to last group, you know, well within striking distance, just like this year. He shot even par on the front nine last year. This year he shot one under. And then the back nine, you could tell he pressed. And it's the worst thing you can do at Augusta National is the birdies are out there, but you can't push it. And he shot 40 on the back nine last year. This year he shoots 32. Um, He really let the course come to him and let the moment come to him by just executing on his game plan. But then you look, you finish one shot out of the lead, and, and it's it's a testament to the major championships of having your game plan and sticking to it because I keep going back in my head, you know, on 13 on Saturday, he just he goes for this, the green from a bad lie with a fairway wood on in the right rough with that back pin. And I, I get it. Like if that fairway wood carries up to the front of the green, it runs right back to that back pin. Right. And he could make an eagle, but if he just lays it up, it's such an easy up and down. And he, I mean, he got it up and down for par, essentially where he could have laid the ball up to. And he makes birdie, and he's in a playoff. Like right. it's it's crazy to me how narrow the margin for winning is, and and it the one moment where Ricky really pushed and was a you know tried to tried to get make something happen in the whole tournament, he. It he doesn't get the good break, and that's the difference between winning and coming in second, or you know, playoff in second. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, man, the the balance there is so 
I mean, that's kind of what make what makes golf, you know, so great is when do you try to push down at what day at what position on the leaderboard, um, and do you at all? I think because Ricky, he caught some he caught some crap last year, um, and I thought rightfully so for the way he played that last round of the U.S. Open, or you know, with he <laughs> he he really hung back and never kind of tried to get aggressive as Kepka took the lead. Now, would it have mattered? Probably not the way Kepka played and, and Ricky said as much, but he played extremely conservative golf uh, for being in contention on Sunday at a major and needing to close a gap between him and the leader. And he was conservative definitely at um, the PGA stuck to his game plan. Like you said, I remember following him a couple days and he was with Rory and different players. And Ricky was the one uh, hitting not driver off every t- uh, off the most tee boxes, whether it was a, a driving iron or a three wood or hybrid on a lawn and wet course. It was always Ricky kind of had his game plan. He was playing pretty conservative golf. Um, he never. It, it's it's like an incredible balance there with with when and where you make a move or do you make a move or do you change your game plan at all? And I think you kind of make the point at Augusta. You just you can't do that or you're screwed. And Rory made that same case this week. He's like, I, I've tried to learn just to be patient. Um, that's the biggest problem I've had here is thinking, you know, because there's birdie chances out there, I need to shoot a 64 and I need to eagle a birdie every, you know, par five and then pick up birdies at three and wherever else. And, and that's been my problem is is because the, 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 the margin there between, you know, screwing yourself by getting too aggressive and needing to shoot a low number is, is kind of what makes golf so great. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Jeff Ogilvy said something to me once he said, uh, Augusta's great because if I want to shoot 72, I can do it every single time. But the second I try and shoot 66, I shoot 76. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a perfect way to capture it. I, I mean, what do you think of I, this? Seems to be Ricky's approach. This, this, this is always, and I think it's worth applauding that he never, kind of, he's not going to change his game plan. Him and Scavron, uh just stick to what they do all week, whether it's Sunday, late Sunday, or you know, early Thursday. And I think like he had one stretch this week where he had three three putts. I think in nine holes, or maybe it was a, a round. And right there, you know. Clean that up, and you're winning by two shots. So I wonder how many major champions have taken a penalty stroke. It's a good question. I'm trying to think, but I mean, Ricky last year at the PGA, he had that triple bogey in the first round. Yep, and that like that's the difference. It's just yeah. it, it, it it to me it seems like it's just you know he, it's getting to the point where it's just one moment you can you almost zero in on every single major with him and uh i think he's going to win i he's got to i he's just, he's so close so often it, it, you know i right. hate the parallels with phil but i mean the number of top 5 finishes in majors is is unbelievable i i had it in the newsletter i forgot exactly what it was but i think it's i think it's 8 yeah i think it's 8 already and with yeah, three or four just... second place finishes, right, right, yeah. There's not all not all top fives are created equal. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I think he just keeps giving himself chances. He's going to win one. What do you What do you think best suits his game, or is it just kind of it's, it's suitable at multiple? That's I mean that's the that's the great thing about Fowler is that he's shown he can play at every type of uh, major championship venue, and he he's got that all around game. It's a you know you look at it and you look at different guys on tour and his his game isn't in we just talked about it with reed if he if he hits the ball well he's gonna do well but like ricky is a world-class ball striker world-class short game world-class with wedges and he's a top 10 putter in the world so it's not like he he doesn't have it everywhere should fit his game well you look at shinnecock that should fit him well uh carnoustie i mean the carnoustie in, in the open championship half of it's about catching the right side of the draw so you know, you, all of a sudden that field can be shrunk by fifty percent, and right. then uh, and then the PGA Championship at at Belle Reve. I mean, that should be a good spot for him too. It, it it's it's going to be wet. It's going to be soft. Um, it's going to be long, and it's going to be it's going to be tough. But the the softness of the golf course should you know have a lot of it'll it'll be way different than the three courses leading up to belt reef it'll be more of a i think it'll be more like a course you see week in week out on pga tour yeah right no no i I, from everything i hear and read and talk to you about it sounds like that's the case so yeah i think you know just what we talked about because he he's so adaptable and so good through the bag um you know best maybe the best sand player in the world top 10 putter all these things you know, it's hard not to see him picking up one because he adapts to every all four kinds of styles, and we know we know for a fact he can contend at Augusta. There's no there's nothing at Augusta that that's blocking him out or you know psyching him out. He he knows he can play that course. Yeah, I I think also you just look at his career and he's getting better. Right. And I think. I mean, yeah. No. No. He, that's that's definitely the case. He's more consistent um, than ever. I mean, last year he had the lowest missed cuts in his career. He had a boatload of top 10 finishes. I think he's getting better every year. It's not like we're we're talking about a guy that has stopped progressing as a player. But what's crazy, we talked, you know, I talked about the margin for winning and losing, and you look at Jordan Spieth hitting the tree on 18 twice, essentially like a one-shot penalty twice. And he, mm-hmm. and he misses the playoff by two shots. Right. So, I mean, it, it, what do you what do you take away from, from Spieth's week? Oh, it was just... I mean, obviously, <laughs> the round is incredible. Sunday was so fun to watch. But what I took away is just, like, like frustration about what could have been. And that's just... That's golf, right? That's like you walking off... Me walking off the course saying, oh, if I had just, you know... I burned the edge on this hole and I, you know, duffed this one. Like I, I could have shot, you know, three strokes better for that. That's everybody, whether it's you're the best in the world or some chop, but yeah, my main takeaway is just how close we were and, and thinking back on, you know, he's close at 14 and the Eagle putt at 13. Um, I, I don't know. 18. I, the one earlier in the week, like that was a yank. Right, he like yanked that into those that like bathroom area and all those bushes down on the left. I thought on Sunday it was just like a slight pull, 
and it just clipped like one little overhanging branch and he was kind of incredulous couldn't believe it happened you know I, I don't know that that was a bad swing or the ball was kind of destined for doom like the one earlier in the week that was just a slight pull that, that clipped an overhanging branch yeah I, that was not a bad shot i mean if that ball cuts back i can't imagine it being yeah. more than a couple yards into the rough it might even be in the fairway and yeah I, I thought it was going just for the you know the usual landing spot in front of the bunkers kind of coming back and you look at the way he played going into that like he hadn't missed a shot since i mean God, I don't he, know that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, he, I mean, he, every drive was a quick tee pick up. Pick up every approach shot was he was like staring down. I mean, the one on sixteen. I think it, in No Laying Ups podcast with Bones, they did. They Bones talked about the adrenaline, and I think Spieth they took the less club because of the adrenaline, and it just came up short. Um, right. And I think, but I mean, he ended up making the putt. But like, you know, like this guy was locked in, you know, every shot was like right on line, right number. Like he was, it's just so crazy to see a tee shot that that happens to, you know? Yeah, I think like, so yeah, what I walk away from is just what could have been a little bit of frustration, but the way golf works is like 16 was gravy, you know, that, I mean, how often does that one go in? So you kind of, that's just the. The push and pull and the give and take of 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 major golf or or any golf. So, but but again, I walked away feeling like grateful to have seen it. I peeled off at um, seven from Reed and Rory, and kind of raced down with a couple guys, Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN. We raced down to eleven and kind of watched him in from the approach shot on eleven all the way in. Um, and it was kind of I was grateful to have seen it, but also like. Ugh, what could have been if he just, you know, had the one on 13 had fallen in or, or 18 had fallen. It just, it would have been amazing to see him shoot 63, maybe even 62 and, and chase down Reed. Uh, but again, like, it's hard to, I saw him that, that morning. He was like, had this forced march, like head down. I was up at the clubhouse and he just like zoomed past everyone. Didn't look at anybody. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Zoom passed in, into the clubhouse. Um, and I, I heard Jeff Shackelford say he talked to Danzy. Danzy was like, I've never seen him like this before around. I, I just think like it was more evidence that we're going to get speed contending, if not every year at Augusta, like three out of four years. And maybe he won't shoot 64 every time, but he's going to have like a mid 60s round in there somewhere. You know, and maybe that gets him a top 10, but he, it's just, it's, it's too, um, it's his horse for course. He's going to be doing it for the next 20 years. How many, uh, green jackets do you think he gets on his career? Oh gosh. He's 20, he's 24. So he'll be 25 next year. Let's talk about how he could have four, right? Or three, you know, 2014, it wasn't that close, but again, that's what the masters is. Like, like, it could be four or he could have shot 62, but it, it wasn't, you know, I, I think like it's a hard to get a green jacket. So I think just based on the fact that he's come close five, you know, for the last five years, doesn't mean he's going to win five green jackets. You know, I, it's just, I think he gets three. I think that's probably on the low side. Most people would say. Yeah. Think? 
I mean, I, I'd probably set the over under on at three and a half. I, I mean, I, I just the way he plays the golf course, I can't foresee him not joining the four jacket club. You know? Yeah, I know. I know that that seems to be like the conventional wisdom now, which is a pretty amazing club, though, right? I mean, it's just Arnie, Jack, and uh, Tiger. It's it's hard to get there, even if you are always finishing. I mean, we saw Phil like 2000 to 2010. I don't think he finished outside the top ten. He got three three green jackets out of it. So I, I think like it's <laughs> it's easy to it, it's not easy, but. You know, finishing in the top five and the top ten is a little different than than you need to be lucky. You need to be fortunate to also win. Yeah, I mean, Reed got some really good breaks with the the ball on thirteen, hitting the the flag on seventeen. You know, it, you don't win a major championship without good breaks, and you know, there's right. usually unless you you just run away. I mean, we saw Spieth run away. I mean, Kepka. Sure. I feel like one at, at Aaron Hills without good breaks. But for the most part, you got to have some things go your way. Um, and I, I mean, Spieth, 66 in the first round, 64 in the last round. It's what What's crazy to me is that on the day everybody took advantage of the course, he, he just couldn't get it going. I, I think it almost the weather might have been detrimental to the way Spieth plays Augusta. Sure. It's sure. How how did the golf course seem to change from Friday to Saturday to Sunday? It, it from, from my lens, it seemed like on Sunday there just wasn't a lot of fire in it. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. You know, Saturday was just cold and rainy. You know, it went from misting to kind of a light rain, and then you know you didn't see the sun the entire day. Sunday was Sunday was chilly, but you know, yeah, it, it had softened. A bit like it did not have that that yeah firmness i think that you always expect with augusta mm-hmm. um and it there was a 64 out there and, and <laughs> a couple rounds of what what cam smith shot six yeah 67 so yeah i don't know that it had that kind of that challenge on the on the approach shots into the green um but you know that's that's not always how it how you how it falls at Augusta. So yeah, yeah, it it seemed like the the aprons were just kind of slow too. Like the balls weren't weren't rolling off the greens like they would. It's uh, what happened with Reed's ball that just stuck on the bank right at thirteen. Yeah, I mean it chunked it. It was like a little rough there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I for. I don't know if there's been, I, I was really surprised. Like, I don't remember there being rough there, like, which it's kind of, I mean, how is that bank not shaved and every other bank is shaved? Right. Right. But what you, yeah. You know, that was, that was crazy to me is like, is like how, how, how is that bank not shaved? And when 15, we watched Sergio put three wet or four wet shots into the water there. (laughs) Right. Right, so, right. Yeah, that that. Yeah, it makes sense on a par five, where going for it is no longer this momentous decision, as Ridley talked about. That maybe that green contour just makes it so you. But if fifteen has it shaved, yeah, you're right. I mean, why why would thirteen have that kind of extra firewall there? 
Yeah. I don't know. What what you said is true for sure. The, the balls, some of the balls you expect to kind of run out 10, 20 yards back down the fairway or over the back were kind of sticking closer to the, you know, the apron of the green. So I, you know, something I'm kind of surprised with all the money Augusta has and their, their love to tinker, but I think it would, it would require a, a change in their philosophy is like how they haven't sand capped the fairways of the golf course, you know, where they could essentially have a course that if it rained, it still played firm and fast. But obviously with the way they mow the fairways and Tiger alluded to it a lot in, in his book, they want right. the course to play longer. But I think if it played firmer and faster in the fairways, it would just be a better test because it would separate the guys that are really on their game and being extremely precise more and more. Yeah, you mentioned that when we were walking around down there on Wednesday at Sandcap in it. I think there's obviously a lot of merit to that. And someone mentioned Rory. You know, we always hear about Rory rainy conditions. Like if if you're, you have to tweet about it, <laughs> if it happens, if if it rains and Rory's in contention, you're mandatory. You're required by law to tweet about how there's Rory conditions now. But I think you know he felt like he could just kind of grip it and rip it this week a lot more or more often than you know we see the deficiencies in his game, whether it's wedge play or, or being um, you know being precise is what precise with his wedges like you talked about when it's firm and fast you know he didn't always have to do that this week mm-hmm. I, I he's he's such a good player with his irons and and his long game so good you yeah. have to believe that the fact that the ball and technology and everything that goes into these this insane distance game that we've had has actually hindered his career because He's the best long iron player on tour and mid iron player on tour. And he just doesn't really have to hit a lot of them. Nobody has to hit a lot of them anymore. Yeah. His shot on two was incredible from a, you know, two is not an even lie. Yeah. Downhill lie. Yeah. Side hill lie. Yep. He, He was on the left half of the left, left side of the fairway talked. And then the pins obviously back right on Sunday, every Sunday. So I, he just dropped it right in. That's not a short iron shot, you know. Maybe it's not. What he hit? You know, I think he hit a seven iron, but it's a. Yeah. It's a I mean, that's a mid iron. It's yeah. At this point, it's not. Yeah. It's a DJ only hit one uh, one shot more than a six iron into a par four, <laughs> or more than a seven iron into a par four last year. So. All last year, yeah. So it's not. It's not hitting a four iron, but. You know, he, he he just he is that that on those par fives such an incredible ball striker. Yeah. It's um what about uh John Rahm? Best major finish. Kinda kinda got out of his uh his uh his good mood in the back uh the last few holes, but I mean <laughs> this guy's gonna win majors. It, it, and I think Augusta's a perfect place for him. Yeah, I think like the patience thing you talked about earlier and learning to get better, progressing like with Ricky. And I think that's going to happen with Rom, but just faster, you know, he's not going to be 29 like Rick. Um, there's just, there's just a lot of moments where, you know, whether it was Friday or Saturday, I, I, I watched him for a while on Friday and it just 
sloppy, right? Sloppy with his wet. He's an incredible short game player. Most people just associate with him with being like this big burly guy who smashes the ball. But I love to watch him with his wedges and putter. Um, and there was just some sloppy shots where there was nine, um, just not getting it to the right level. Um, and I think that's all going to change as, as he plays the course more, you know, understanding how to miss and where to miss, uh, certainly with, with your approach shots and with your wedges. Um, but again, he was for being on the ground, you know, you got, what is he, a number three player in the world? It was just kind of, he was just kind of lurking there with Ricky and everyone was focused on Reed and Rory at the start and then speed, you know, for the end. So yeah, he had a nice little spot there, just kind of lurking around and not being the focus of the show, but you get my, what do you go? 68, 65, 69. Yeah. 75. Yeah. It, I mean, that 15th holes were kind of unraveled. He he hit that iron shot. He was a yard from being absolutely perfect on that. Right. And he found the water. But, I mean, that if he would have hit that close, it would have been really reminiscent of Sergio's eagle the like, yeah. year before. Because he, I mean, it was right at the flag and literally one yard from from perfection. And, you know, he gets an eagle there and all of a sudden it's, you know, a three-shot swing. And, and we're talking about John Rahm as uh you know, the guy that might have won. You know, it's a, but then in the on the flip side, it, he. I mean, if he gets that up and down, he. I mean, you, that's the thing with Ram is his patience and maturity on the course need to get a little better because it just doesn't seem like you know I'm okay with these guys getting mad and you can get mad like and get it out, but with Ram it just seems to stick with him like one bad thing and like it, it just like the rest of his round or like for like a six hole stretch, he's just out of the, you know, he's in another world and, and that can't happen in major championships. I saw him at 17 on Sunday on the green. He took his fist and just like pounded it into the turf, like, like a, you know, a pitcher going back and like breaking the phone box or, you know, punching his locker and then breaking his hand to being out for six weeks. Yeah. But yeah. He like pounded the turf. Some on Friday take his club and wind up to slam it into his bag. Some toss his club, not like throw it in anger, but launch it at his bag on 18 on Friday. He's definitely like he gets on tilt there, and that's not a place you can do that. Yeah, it, it with the same thing with Reed is like these guys when they make like I was an idiot when I was 22 and 23, like. Yeah, of course. Right. I'm still an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not one that people watch every move. So it's, yeah. it, it's, uh, he, he it's, did get asked about Seve and Sergio. It's like required and Jose. Like it's just, it's just mandatory. He was asked Saturday night, like, what, what do, what do Seve and Sergio mean to you? What did you take from them? It's like, I, just because he's from Spain doesn't mean, you know, he has their game or he, you know, I, I get it's such an easy kind of cliche and facile narrative to apply to him. But I remember at the players last year, it's like, oh, were you, you know, they made it sound like Sergio had like rocked him from the cradle and brought him all the way up. He's like, no, I never really met Sergio until I came to the States, you know, went to Arizona State. You know, it's not he's like the guy the questioner obviously wanted him to say you know they were like hitting balls on the beach together back in spain when they were you know little kids sergio was showing him how to play golf but it's like no i, ne I never met sergio and and until you know i was 
you know, almost 20, but <laughs> that gets frustrating. Obviously being on the grounds is just always getting the same kind of question. So we had, we're, we're like 50 minutes in and we haven't talked about Tiger and Phil. Who? <laughs> it, you know, the big lead up and obviously it, it had to be, it is slightly disappointing not to see one of them in the mix, but from my standpoint, just having Tiger playing and making the cut and being relevant is is a big win at this point. Yeah, I mean, shot sixty nine on Sunday. I th- he made the cut, you know, by one. I, I don't I think we got lost kind of in the hysteria of playing those flats Florida courses and assuming you know we've seen him show up and i i count myself guilty for this like we've seen him show up in 2010 after being in hiding for six months and we saw him show up in 2015 after being hiding in two months trying to figure out a chip like and just assumed he would contend or not contend but you know be top 10 top 15 and you know he's just he's 42 now he's not that golfer and he hasn't played really in two two years so yeah i got caught up in that you know this is not you know, some flat Bay Hill, uh, course. And he made the cut. I I think we need to kind of always shift our expectations and maybe that Florida swing got us a little off kilter and and making the cut after not playing it since 2015 is an accomplishment. It is. And it was just good to have him there. And, and, you know, I wish, you know, we could have seen him more, but the masters is that kind of event. The masters is, is bigger than Tiger. Obviously, Tiger completely changes the dynamic, but if Tiger's playing early Sunday at the Valspar, that's like the most important part of the Valspar, right? For for the larger golf, or for the larger sports world. But, you know, if Tiger's playing early Sunday at the Masters, it's still the Masters, and we're going to care more about what's happening from, you know, 3 to 7 o'clock than what, how, you know, every shot of Tiger's early Sunday round. So he he got you know a little lost in the shuffle, but it was just good to have him there on the weekend. Yeah, I think that the difference. I think he just wasn't comfortable. You saw it take time for him to get his competitive chops back and on a regular PGA Tour event. And I think yeah. it's the same thing with majors. Like you know, major championship golf is different than week in week out PGA Tour golf, and it's just something he hadn't done in a while. And I think that getting that comfortable getting comfortable again in major championship golf is, is just the difference. It's a different level of play and it requires a little, it's just feels different. And I think he just was really sloppy early in the week. Yeah. I mean, obviously people talk about the par fives and that was kind of the thing I, I expected to be there for him, be there for him this week was that ball striking. And it wasn't, you know, he said he put himself in good spots several times on whether it was two or eight and just kind of, you know, yank these, you know, pretty moderate approach shots that we were talking about. The ball striking just wasn't there, but going back to the major thing, I think the injuries and all that's happened kind of obscure that he wasn't the best on the weekend at majors before he got hurt. Right. I mean, we saw like kind of in 2012 and 2013, whether it was Muirfield or Hill, he wasn't, I mean, things changed for him on the weekend of the major. And I don't know if that goes back to 2009 since, you know, his 
everyone kind of got a glimpse into his personal life and that whole kind of the 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 veneer fell and crumbled all around him but like he wasn't he, he was a different player on the weekend at majors in 2012 and 2013 and he did get sloppy and wasn't as sharp and you know obviously we're now five years removed with a ton of stuff that's happened uh but i think that might get lost in this lost in the shuffle of just saying well he's just he's been hurt and he's got to get back to playing like he did you know when he didn't have before all the back troubles so so i don't know that that may be like a lingering longer issue than simply just coming back from back surgery yeah I- it's it, it's tricky, it, you know. That you he's the greatest player, you know, most dominant player of all time. You know, people right. always argue about the greatest, but and it's it's hard to accept it if he's a different player now because we all remember what he was once was. Um, but it's you know, it, it, I think it's a matter of time. I think he will, if as, assuming he can stay healthy the next three to five years, I think we'll see him on a on a Masters Sunday in contention yeah no doubt no i I think there's no doubt about that i think he's going to have a late sunday tea time um somewhere in the next three to five years as long as he's playing i mean his short game is absolutely insane like he's got shots like he hit that he had a flop shot on eight over the giant mound from the left that just like stopped on a dime and i you know you you sit back and you're like who has that shot like, right. does anybody really have that shot other than Tiger? And I don't, I don't think they necessarily do. Um, Phil, you, you probably could make an ar- argument, but it, I mean, the game is coming back. It's, it's just you, you take two years, you know, essentially like really four years off. Yeah, and right. uh, it, it, he's going to have some rust. Um, so, any anybody that disappointed, surprised this week for you? Um. You know, I, you know who surprised me is Henrik Stenson. The guy's been pretty garbage at, at Augusta, and shockingly was, bad though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess shockingly bad, but I just and he's not been that good this year except for Bay Hill, um, and he finished T five and was kind of always always lurking. Uh, didn't didn't have that that you know, mid sixties, 67 type round that, that would have put him in the conversation with Fowler and Reed and Spieth. But, you know, he had four rounds in the red and, and finished T five. So I thought that was kind of a surprise. Um, I don't know who disappointed. Um, I guess Dustin Johnson finished T 10, <laughs> but I just felt like he was never in it. I, I guess we, we, we get spoiled by DJ, you know, eagling every par five and, and past masters that, you know, you, you want that again and you want another 66 with three or four eagles on the card. Uh, it's not that easy to do. Um, yeah, I just thought I thought DJ was kind of coming in without a lot of fanfare and would at least be more in the conversation on Sunday. But that said, like a bad week or a quiet week, I guess. Not bad. A quiet week for DJ was T10. So, yeah. Um, I was, uh, Cam Smith is one that jumps out to me, 24 years old. And now he's got his second top five in a major. You know, he finished, I think, T3rd at, at Chambers Bay and now T5th at, at Augusta National. I think, 
He's uh, he's going to be a, a star. I th- it, you know, he got his first individual win at, at the Aussie Open this year, and yeah. uh, or was it the Aussie PGA? I think it's PGA. I think. Aussie PGA. He won that Zurich, but this kid is nails. I think he's a uh, he's got the the type of game that's going to to thrive at major championships, and he might be. You know, everybody looks at you know the different you know next Aussie guy and he's going to be one of them I mean there's always this pipeline of great Aussie players I talked to some I talked to some Aussie guys about him I actually I have some I have just like a connection to him because he played with my dad in Cleveland at the web event so I'm kind of like a fan just random random fan but I talked to some Aussie guys and I've talked to his coach and stuff in the past and like he they worry about him like he's just a chiller. Like he's not he's the very opposite of Reed. Like he would be fine if he didn't have this incredible golf talent, he'd be fine just like working at a bar or the pub with his buddies back in Australia. And I heard like when he when he got that T five in Chambers, he just kinda like was like, Oh, that was cool and, and went and, and now I've got some job security and he kinda went home and just hung out in Australia. I heard like la- uh before the Masters he was just kind of screwing around and, and with his friends in Ponte Vedra. I'm not saying like he's he's being irresponsible or anything. He's just kind of hanging out, chilling. Like he's the very opposite of Reed. That may work better for him than being Reed. But um, it like goes yeah, that, back to what somebody said is like you either got to be like super smart, like like a like Phil, like where you're so analytical. Or you have to be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like DJ, to be a really great golfer. Is like <laughs> being in the middle is like yeah. the worst spot you can be. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he just kind of strolls up to the golf course, and he's got so much talent. He's like, that's the way he plays. He doesn't need to be grinding or, or worrying about every contour. He's got it enough talent to finish T five in the Masters. So. I was a uh, I was a little disappointed with Rose and Casey, you know. They, yeah. Those guys. Uh, I mean, you see Casey shoot sixty nine, sixty five on the on the weekend, and it's like, man, what what was? It? But I think he went in with more expectations than ever before. I mean, he, there I forgot who on on Golf Channel was picked him, you know, and 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 live from. Yeah. But who, did, who? What's going on with Peters? 78 MC. Yeah, he's young, you know. He's not been playing well all year. Yeah, he's he's been a little off. I think you know, like anything. I mean, the crazy thing is like you think about like the Ryder Cup and like with all these guys, these Euros. Like he might not make the team this year, but I think he'll yeah. get he'll get it together. It's he he's gonna be a really good player i think still and and i think yeah. you know like his his skill set but like it just shows you gotta you can have a game that's built for augusta but you still gotta play well it's not like you can show up and not have your best stuff and contend so i got a question we we're talking about tiger and phil do you think phil's gonna win another masters i don't know i uh it's I, not been uh it's not been that great since 2012 he had the T2 in 2015, but that, I mean, that was Jordan Spieth was like five, six shots ahead the whole time, and he kind of came back and caught Rose to finish T2. And since then, it's not been that great. I mean, he, he I think he hadn't, 
Um, he hadn't shot below 70 until Sunday, this Sunday for since that for like two or three years, he hadn't broken 70. Um, I just, we, we, we so often hear like, Oh, he's going to win in his fifties. He's going to contend into his sixties. Um, it's not been that great since 2012. Yeah. If you look at where he won too, I, he won at Chapultepec, which isn't really, I mean, it's not a, premier golf course i i think when you i mean when you look down the list like would you rather you know like mark leishman or phil we you're in you're out at augusta who would you take from now like going forward probably leishman so like leishman what is he probably 15 on your list of potential winners yeah 10 to 15 yeah i mean we know he's got a proven track record of shooting low rounds there yeah. would you would you pick at this point tommy fleetwood or phil mickelson for the for the next five years at augusta hmm that's a good one probably fleetwood yeah so like you start to go down the list and you're like whoa like you know like he's he's falling down and and you haven't even talked about like a guy like tony finau who finished t10 in his first masters with a dislocated ankle i mean like i put finau <laughs> in my sleepers thing because like his game is just, it screams Augusta National. He's world-class. Like, obviously, everybody goes, he's the longest player on tour, but he's, like, top 15 in strokes gained approach. And then he also has an incredible short game. I think he's in the top 20 on the PGA Tour around the green strokes gained. So, like, you look at a guy like that, and all of a sudden, you know, you start adding more and more of these guys. Like, Justin Rose isn't going anywhere for the next five years. Louis Oosthuizen is going to be there, like, you know, like Phil all of a sudden falls down my list to like maybe like the twentieth best pick at Augusta. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a very good way of capturing it uh, of just how much there now is how much he would need to beat to get another green jacket and and you know he's not really contended. It's well, it's not, and it's not so much about Phil. Like if Phil plays at yeah. his high level at a high level. Like he's gonna have a shot, but like, what are the chances of these other twenty guys not playing at a high level? Like, there's just so so many great players right now that it's hard to imagine all of them. You know, like if if Fowler, Spieth, or let's just say we'll say Spieth, Rory, JT, or DJ really has their A game, Phil has no chance. Yeah, right. Um. Right. So like, that's like the thing that I think sticks out is like. Phil not only has to have his A game, his A plus game, but he also needs these other guys not to not to play well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think like just it's easy. It's an easy talking point that he's going to win again and an easy kind of thing to say he's going to contend forever. But um, maybe not. <laughs> you got uh, anything else you want to hit on here? No, not really. I mean, it was a fantastic week. My favorite moment was um, encountering a middle-aged man in a Marvin Harrison jersey, Colts jersey, <laughs> walking around Augusta. Wasn't a shot, wasn't Speed's putt on 16. Just this guy in a Marvin Harrison Colts jersey with his rain jacket tied around his waist and some like old school playing New Balances. And I was just thinking like, 
What's the, what's the thought process? What's yeah, what's the thought what process in the morning? I'm going to the Masters. I'm going to put on my Colts Marvin Harrison jersey. That's what I was thinking. Is like you know, had he had it planned? You know, was it was yeah. it a scripting? Is like no. I'm going like, to the Masters. This is what I'm wearing because I love this thing. It make there was no Marvin Harrison wasn't around. I I don't. I I was just so confused. I was. What, what do you think about Nike putting the kibosh on Reed with the Sunday rut? Um, I don't think apparel companies should be. Depends. It depends on who you are. Obviously, they pay these guys a ton of money. This thing's gotten more pub and attention than it deserves. But uh, I don't. I think Reed should be allowed to. He's leading the damn masters, and she, he should be allowed to wear what he wants. I, you know, uh, Augusta made. Uh, his wife take off her Kapalua hat also and put on an Augusta hat. Is that true? I hadn't seen that. Yeah, really? she was like holding her other hat. Wow. I hadn't heard about that, but that's not surprising. And maybe not the most offensive thing about her Sunday outfit. But um, <laughs> the, the, the Reeds were just getting bullied on their, their apparel. Maybe, maybe Patrick will now wear Sunday pink. <laughs> Sunday Azalea pink? Yeah. It's a, it's a thought, you know, it it worked. It, I don't think he's really superstitious, though. Is he? No, I don't. I mean, I think the red thing was just an homage to Tiger and he stuck with it. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, you know, maybe he is. He, doesn't he use like the old Ryder Cup, a bunch of that stuff, like the yardage book and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he's uh, I, I'm uh, I'll be I'm really interested to see what happens with Reed. After this, I think he's a guy that obviously is, you know, no shortage of confidence and this thing's going to put him through the moon on it. You know, Patrick Reed might just be becoming a, uh, you know, top to top five player like he proclaimed. It's, uh, it's good for me. Good for content. You know, he's just I think as he gets better or, you know, as he gets accomplishes more and more and gets more cocky. Yeah, might might lead to some friction or some drama so it's good for me all right let's do some uh overrated underrated yeah uh the 18th hole that's this is this is your wheelhouse um i think it's i think it's it's overrated i do and i'm coming off this pissed off about speed getting robbed uh if by that overhanging limb I think it's I think it's too narrow and too difficult to make uh make a birdie. I, I think it's overrated. I I find it frustrating, but I'm I'm very uh my opinion is colored by watching Speeth's round come undone Speeth's chase at history come undone there. I think uh it's I think they just got to do a little tree trimming. It's always been a shoot yeah. is the one thing, but that, that, you know, obviously they, they lengthened it and moved that back tee back. So like the shoot is a lot different now than it was when it was originally designed. I think, uh, I, I really, really, I mean, everybody that reads my stuff will know this. I really dislike bunkers on the outside of dog legs. Yeah. Right. right. I, I just, I can't stand them now. Granted, like, the the hole does not play at all the way it it should because of the, you know the distance and you know nobody expected these guys to be able to hit wedges into a 465 yard hole uphill 
but that's what it's become. Um, I, I just, I, um, so overrated. Yeah. And and then the green's like way smaller than it used to be, but I mean, it, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a cool, I like the idea of having a whole, the 17th gets a lot of flack and I think that it should be wider because they planted all these trees, which are bad and it's negatively, but I like that you have this stretch of birdie holes, like 13, 14, 15, 16 are all gettable. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to be like a drivable par four coming in. Like you gotta, it's a major championship. Like make these guys hit tough golf shots coming in and yeah, 17, 18 do that. So I, I think they just need to do a little bit of tree work to just give it a, it's so claustrophobic back there. Yeah. I, I kind of love watching the 17th green and then bouncing over to 18th tee. I mean, I, I know, yeah, 17 catches some crap for being, I don't know, just having not a ton of character, but the green is really fun. It's fun to watch approach shots in there and watch them put, put on that green. Yeah, I mean, like last year is a perfect example. Um, Justin Rose hit a bad shot and he found that front bunker and he didn't make it. You know, that was was a, you know, if it, if it's a, you know, gettable hole, like that doesn't happen. He had to hit a good, two good shots. You got to hit two good shots on 17. I mean, Reed almost the same thing almost happened. Like he hit a really bad approach shot. And I mean, he got, got a good break by hitting the hole on that, like, hundred foot putt, but we almost saw another bogey there. Can I just say, uh, you were talking about trees here for a minute on Wednesday. I had my camera. It's like, I don't know, 10 years old, crappy camera. And about every, I don't know, 20 yards. You're like, give me that camera. <laughs> and you would start taking pictures of nothing but a tree. Because you were pissed off because they were they looked too young and they were obviously too new. They just planted them. How long do you think that's been here? <laughs> you're just taking pictures. I think people were walking by looking at you like you should be in a straitjacket and hauled off. Like you're zooming in on just one specific under a tree, taking pictures of these young trees. They, you know, one day people I might. looking at you like you were insane. Well, they got dead trees out there. <laughs> they do. They've got like dead maple trees and groves of pine trees. It's like what just cut it cut it down you know <laughs> like is it I, I don't know a uh taking zooming in on a tree everyone else is trying to get these like vistas and the usual spots down an amen corridor you're just like running into these woods and taking close-ups of a single solitary tree it's, it's like you said cool. on on wednesday everybody's taking pictures of one thing i'm gonna take pictures of completely different things yeah. everybody's zag <laughs> I just love the looks you're getting as people are like, what's that guy doing? What's yeah. he taking a picture of? Yeah. I mean, people, people probably thought I was, I was crazy. It's uh, <laughs> um, overrated, underrated Augusta merch. Again, I'm coming out of this. You know how you're not supposed to wear the, the t-shirt, the con the t-shirt to the concert, right? You're not supposed yeah. to wear like, Rolling Stones tour, you know, T-shirt to the Rolling Stones, especially concert. that tour. Yes, it, well, that's yeah, particularly egregious. Um, I why doesn't that apply to golf? Like the last thing I'm gonna wear, I have some Masters thing. Last thing I'm gonna wear at the Masters is the Masters stuff. 
And I don't know. I think it should apply more to golf. It's, it's like going to, you know, a Colts game (laughs) or an Eagles game and everyone's in their Jersey. Uh, I don't know. I, it's just a little bizarre to me. I I just, it was too ubiquitous. And so I'm kind of out on masters merch. But again, I I'm very biased having come from a week at Augusta national. It's just, it's too much. It's, it's too ubiquitous. It's too, um, I don't know. It's too blase at this point. And that's kind of crazy for me to say because you can't get it anywhere but the merch shop. But I'm kind of I'm kind of out on Masters gear right now. You know what gets me is like the jersey thing. It's like people like people that put on their jersey to watch a game at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what, what, what <laughs> like oh the Blackhawks are playing. Let me go get my Blackhawks jersey out and sit on my couch. Like <laughs> that's something that's never clicked in my head like you know, or the Bears are playing. I'm going to go put my Bears jersey on and watch it. I'm like, like I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Like it's something that really actually bugs me. Like nobody's around, but I'm putting on this jersey. <laughs> That's a valid point. I think people probably spend money on jerseys. It's not a thing you can wear often, and so they put it on to sit on their couch. But well, you can wear. No, you can wear. No you can wear it to the uh, to the Masters. You can wear your mask. Maybe that's what the guy was doing. He didn't want to wear Masters gear, so he put on his his Colts jersey. He's sticking out. I mean, I applauded him. God, this is so bizarre. What about Fred Ridley? Overrated, underrated? I think he's underrated now. I thought, you know, so much of what I kind of, my framing of him was about 2013. And the portrayals weren't particularly kind, particularly Alan Shipnuck's breakdown of what happened with Tiger's drop. And it kind of portrayed him as kind of a bumbling rules guy. So I, I, I think, you know, the framing of him wasn't the best coming into this, coming into his chairmanship. But I think he's super underrated. And it's not just the amateur thing, the, the women's amateur stuff, which makes a ton of sense and, and everyone seems to be on board with. Um, but I, I just, I thought he was hit, hit all the right tones. He seemed kind of engaged on the right things. <laughs> he seemed, uh, uh, so I was watching close circuit TV of, of the green jacket ceremony up on the, of the putting green and Reed, uh, kept calling people fans like all y'all and Ridley was right in the shot sitting down behind him. He just looked so pained. He did not look like he wanted to be there anymore. He did not look super happy with Reed's speech. He was looking up at him just like with this like painful grimace on it, on his face. And so I thought I found him amusing <laughs> that part amusing, but I think he's underrated. I thought he hit all the right tones and he seems like uh could be a good person to be the next chairman. Yeah, I'm uh I'm very optimistic with the Fred Ridley era. A, yeah. you know, the hair is just spectacular right but beyond that he asked the best question i've heard post round in a uh, in butler cabin he asked reed about his bounce backs and i mean this guy is the last guy to win the u.s amateur that that didn't turn pro it's uh, right i mean it's exciting to have a guy that really really gets golf as the chairman you know like it's not like just some schmuck member like 
Uh, not saying any Augusta members are schmucks, but like we aren't talking about like your 15 handicap that's like, oh, you know, this is what I think we should do. That's calling the shots. You know, you got a guy that was a Walker Cup captain, a USAM winner. Like you got a guy that really, really knows golf. And I, I'm excited. I think I think he's going to do some good stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would be uh, apropos, though, for him to just disappoint on every level. So that's why I'm cautiously <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that was the one thing I took away is like it's such a change of having a, a, a guy with such a golf background and as an excellent player now in control of so many important things that are just the game yeah all right last one walk-up music gosh if if anybody doesn't know zurich classic announced that it would have walk-up music this uh this year to the first tee um i think it's incredibly overrated it's just a dumb window dressing like i don't it's not it doesn't bother me like i'm not gonna be angry that it's happening but it's incredibly overrated. It's it's it it resonates more in the content now than when you actually get there. And it's like it just falls flat every time. No one cares about it. They maybe care about it for the first guy for five seconds. It plays and then you forget it's even happening. There's no content. There's nothing funny. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing worthwhile that comes out of it. It's not offensive. I'm fi- like I don't think like the game is being going to be ruined by it, but it's just inc- incredibly overrated. It's like it's just window dressing of like, oh, we're going to be young and hip and different and, and cool, and it's it's it, it 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 has no impact on anything, and we should stop talking about it. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with most of your points. I think it would it does add a great wrinkle to the fan experience for those that get to sit on the first tee. Because, like, it would be mo- way more interesting sitting there, you know? I, I mean, what what is what is Grayson Murray's walk-up music going to be? Uh, proud to be an American. Lee Greenwood, <laughs> I would guess. Um, like yeah, a, I mean, that course, that course is not interesting at all. In I think opinion. it gets a bad rap just because it's in... Oh, it, it always rains in New Orleans. Like, it's always soft. It's Like, it's just... I mean, it, it's like the tour going to Memphis in in this in August, you know, for, with a WGC. Like, yeah. you're just setting them up for failure. Like, it's going to be a miserable event. No media wants to go to Memphis in the summer. Like, <laughs> like it, it. Like, nobody wants to go there in the summer. It's going to be hot. It's going to rain. It's going to rain a lot. Like, it's going to be thunderstorms all the time. Like, you're just setting it up for failure. And I know FedEx is the guy, the people that really like write the checks for the tour so i get right. why it's there but like you yeah. can't tell me that the event in memphis is going to do more for fedex's sponsorship than if they rotated it around to like 15 great golf courses in the country like that would do so much more for for fedex because it would have yeah. so much more fan interest and greater interest across the world than playing an event at a garbage golf course in memphis in in august People in Northeast Ohio not happy. Oh, uh, I, I heard about it a few last few weeks. They're not happy. Yeah, about losing the WGC. But I know people have their Firestone takes, and I don't disagree with them. But Nickelback it's a c- community event. <laughs> um. All right, man. Well, uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah. And uh, 
another master's in the books. I was a little depressed on Sunday night, realizing that uh, everything's downhill from here. We're gonna we'll, we'll get out to Shinnecock, right? I mean, we might might take a tour around there in June, and we got the players coming up. So, Shinny Shinny should be fun. That'll be yeah, a lot of fun. We got a good major year coming up. We're, we're just strapping in. It'll be fun. It's a three major year. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. So I can't wait. I can't wait for the knives to come out on Bell Reef. I'll tell you that. Though that'll be fun. I I don't know. That's another thing. That's a that's another example. Like St. Louis in August is is the worst place in the world. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Later. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you. 